If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I would like to invite you to please turn with me to the book of Judges, chapter 6. The book of Judges follows immediately following the book of Joshua. It's right after the first five books of the Bible, Joshua and then Judges. So if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, let me encourage you to take advantage of the Bible that's located conveniently right in front of you and turn to page 174. I would really like to see some sort of text in front of every person this morning because I have a lot of texts that we're going to be covering today and um, it will really help you uh, if you are able to follow along and uh, join me in the text as we explore it today. This morning the theme of my message is on overcoming faith. The Lord um, prompted me to speak a word to you today out of this passage in the story of Gideon several weeks ago, and I was so encouraged. I love how God does this when last week um, Andrew, one of our elders and our youth director here, shared a very powerful message about um, having a fighting faith. And... um, This morning, in a sense, the word that I have for you really builds on what Andrew laid as a foundation last week. And so I think the Lord um, has something that he wants to get down deep into our spirit around this theme. For I believe that Um, like almost no other time in history, not only for us here at Bethel Christian Fellowship, though certainly for us here at Bethel Christian Fellowship, and not only for you individually, but certainly for you individually, but for His church, His bride here in this world at this time, that He is calling His bride, His church, His people to step up and step out in overcoming faith. And so this morning, we find ourselves in Judges, beginning in chapter 6. And the first verses here sort of set the context for the message, the the heart of the message that I'll be bringing, which is the story of Gideon. But in order to kind of get the context, we're going to kind of walk through these first few verses first. And, And we're going to see here a cycle that the people of Israel find themselves in repeatedly. And I think you might be able to find a connection to your life in their experience as well. It begins here in chapter 6, verse 1, with the word again. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Again. This is a pattern that is repeated in the life of the people of God, the people of Israel, over and over again. And it's a pattern 
that unfortunately sometimes can mark even our own lives, whether it be individually or corporately within the church. Either through resistance, passive rebellion, or open and active rebellion, we find ourselves going our own way and doing our own thing. Trusting in ourselves or in, as Jeremy was just sharing, those idols of wood or gold, though they might not look exactly like that in our day and age, but nevertheless following other gods, little g. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, He gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts and caves and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel. Neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys... They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and the camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Let me help you understand something here. Sin may feel pleasant for a moment. But the consequence of our rebellion against God, when we choose to walk in that sin, the inevitable result of that is bondage and enslavement and servitude. It's inevitable consequence. And we see it here graphically displayed for the people of Israel. Their land is ravaged. Their crops are destroyed. They're being occupied by this foreign invader. And so the cycle continues from sin to servitude. And now next, the cycle continues in verse 6. And it's the cycle of your life and mine as well. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Frequently there comes a point in our life when we find ourselves enmeshed in the consequences of our sin. And out of desperation and this feeling, this sense of powerlessness, we cry out to the Lord, Help, Jesus! Help us, Lord. So from sin to servitude, 
comes out of that place birthed this supplication to the Lord, have mercy on me, O God. And God is so gracious. And God is so good. You see, He didn't sign a contract with His people. And if they didn't fulfill the terms of the contract, God wouldn't follow through on His end of the contract. God was in covenant with His people Israel. He is in covenant with you and with me. And our God is not a God who will turn His back on His covenant. And as it says here, as we continue now, in verse 7, when the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, He sent them a prophet. He sent them a message. He sent them a word. And we're going to see that word unfold now in the pages ahead. But he begins by saying this, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt, from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you've not listened to me. I've spoken to you, but you've not listened to me. But now I think you're ready to hear. Now I think you're ready to receive the salvation that I have to bring to you. You chose to sin and walk away from me. You have experienced the consequences of that in the enslavement and bondage in your life. And in the place of desperation, you have called out to me And now I'm answering you. And here is the answer that I'm going to bring to you in a man named Gideon. And so, we step in now in verse 11. And what I'm going to do is read the rest of this chapter and then we're going to unpack it briefly this morning to help us understand the dimensions and the characteristics of overcoming faith. And then we'll go on into chapter 7 as we close today. Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Aberzite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it away from the Midianites. Here we get a first clue of how bad things have gotten. Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. That's not where wheat gets threshed. But he's afraid of the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon responds much like you and I would respond were the Lord to come with that message to us and said, Where? (laughs) 
Who are you talking to? Somebody else here? But Sir Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Now, all of you are much too spiritual to have ever prayed a prayer like that, I'm sure. Lord, you're with us. It isn't looking too great right now. Why has all of this happened to us? In the immortal words of Reb Tevye, Lord, if this is how you treat your friends, perhaps that's why you have so few of them. God, where are you? Where are all His wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of the Midianites. If we're honest, that's how we feel sometimes. God, you've abandoned us. And the Lord turned to him and said, I love this. Verse 14, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Go in the strength that you have. I'm sending you. Save Israel. Verse 15, but Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. Wow. What a powerful, powerful promise. I'm going to be with you. And you will strike down all of the Midianites together. And Gideon replied, Well, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me and not just the pizza that I had last night. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. And Gideon went in and he prepared a young goat and from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast and he put the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot and he brought them out and offered them to him under an oak. The oak. And the angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so and with the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread and the angel of the Lord disappeared. And when Gideon realized that it was an angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, don't be afraid, you're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day it stands in Ophrah of the Aborazites. That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second fold from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it, and build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height and using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. And in the morning, when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. And they asked each other, who did this? 
And when they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. And the men of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Now, Joash, he does a great thing, you know, good dad here. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So that day they called Gideon, Jeroboam, saying, let Baal contend with him because he broke down Baal's altar. But now all of the Midianites, Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples joined forces, crossed over the Jordan, and camped in the valley of Jezreel. And then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Aborazites to follow him, and sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also to Asher, and Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. And Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And that is what happened. And Gideon rose early the next day and he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a whole bowl full of water. Wow. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground all around covered with dew. And that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and the ground was covered with dew. Now let's take a moment to sort of unpack this just a little bit and bring it home to where we live here and now today. How do we develop this kind of overcoming faith that I believe the Lord desires for us individually and corporately to develop? How do we develop an overcoming faith? Well, the first step in the process is this. The first step in the process is of developing and overcoming faith. And if you have your bulletin, there's a tear-off there that says sermon notes. You might want to mark some of these down because otherwise five minutes after you're out of here, you will have forgotten them. But this way, you'd have a record of some of that and you can put it in your Bible right here in this passage to remind yourself this week and in the weeks to come of what the Lord has spoken to us today. The first step is to realize your god given identity. Who you are. See, Gideon didn't really know who he was. In fact, if you're going to realize your God-given identity, you first need to recognize the lie of the enemy because the enemy is always going to be chattering in your ear. The message that, you know what, you're really not so much. In fact, you're kind of a loser. What was the lie of the enemy that Gideon was believing? Well, the first lie, he was believing that God's abandoned us. Not only that, he was believing the lie that, you know what, my clan is the weakest and I'm the least of my clan. I'm like nobody. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is found in the prophetic book, Zechariah. This is such a powerful picture of what I'm talking about here. 
It says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and standing, Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? In this passage, Joshua is standing before the angel of the Lord and the enemy is right there accusing. And he still does it today. In fact, that's the, that's the real ground zero of spiritual warfare is the enemy's accusations against the very people of God. You see, I believe... That as we are created in the image of God, every person who walks this earth has been given a God-given destiny and calling for their lives. God has a purpose for your life. And what the enemy does is he comes alongside of that seed of the destiny and calling and sows a seed of his own that he seeks to see, that, that the enemy wants to grow up and choke out the seed of destiny in your life. And the enemy is very wily and deceptive in this. In fact, it's often in the very place of your calling and destiny, the place of your strength, that you are most vulnerable because that's where the enemy comes to try to snatch and choke out the life of God in you. What's true individually is true corporately. I've shared this many times, but I will mention it again in the context of this message because I think it's a part, it's a a good picture of what I'm talking about here. Our calling as a congregation is to be an apostolic house of prayer for all nations. By definition, that means that the calling upon this house is to be a house of reconciliation. Where barriers... And walls that exist between people are broken down. And where there is freedom and a flow of God's grace and mercy between people. So guess where the enemy is going to contend? He is going to contend right in the place of our calling. Many, many years ago, as an elder board, we prayed and fasted and asked the Lord to reveal... What was the spirit that was afflicting against this congregation? And the word that the Lord gave to us was a spirit of separation or a spirit of divorce that would seek to tear people apart from one another. That would take and magnify our differences in such ways that those differences would begin to become barriers between us would begin to magnify every little thing and, and magnify a sense particularly within us in that spirit of separation. And, and we've also talked about here the, the orphan spirit, that spirit that says, nobody really understands me. I don't really belong. I, 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 just, really don't, I just really don't fit. Nobody really cares about me. That's the enemy's voice. That's the lie of the enemy. Come straight from the pit of hell. 
then what we need to do is contend against that by receiving the truth of God. The way that you fight the enemy is with the truth. By receiving the truth and having it, as David says, establish your truth in my inmost parts and teach me your wisdom in the hidden places. That's what we need. That's what we need. Here's the truth of the matter from Romans chapter 8. You didn't receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father! The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, and if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may share in His glory. Here's the truth. You're a son, not an orphan. You're a child of God. You're not walking in a spirit of fear. But the spirit of sonship. This is the truth. I'm not talking about some sort of hokey pokey, um, self-esteem sort of mumbo jumbo sort of thing. I'm talking about having your identity rooted in the reality of what God says about who you are. And God came to Gideon and said, Mighty warrior! That's who you are. Mighty warrior! Once we realize our God-given identity, then we can begin to respond from that God-given identity. And again, sort of the, the you know, these are kind of, t- all of these are tied together. The, the responding to God's, from your God-given identity requires that you recognize when you are reacting from the lie. You need to begin to recognize when you are reacting from the lie. I talk a lot about being the difference between being driven and being led. You are led by the Spirit. You are driven by your own brokenness, by your flesh, by the world, the enemy. All of those things drive you. Gideon, there's a beautiful picture of here, I mean, a, a very, you know powerful picture of Gideon as he's still reacting from the lie. You remember where it is? It's found there in verse 27 of chapter 6. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him, but because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than the daytime. He didn't yet fully trust that God was truly going to be with him and protect him. I mean, he did obey But he did it, you know, kind of undercover because he's still reacting out of the line. What I'm comforted to know is the great men and women of Scripture all faced the same battles you and I do. Remember Moses when God meets him with the burning bush in the backside of the desert? They have this whole conversation. At the end of the conversation, it goes like this. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I've never been eloquent neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who made him deaf from you? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. 
But Moses said, oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. (laughs) Come on. Oh, God. I'm sure there's somebody around here that's far more qualified than I am. Let somebody else at school. Let somebody else at work. Let somebody else in my home. Let somebody else in my neighborhood. Let somebody else do it. Oh God, not me. That's reacting from the line. God has placed you in your family. He's placed you in your church. He's placed you in your neighborhood. He's placed you in your school. He's placed you in your workplace for a purpose. So begin to receive the authority to respond out of truth and not continue to react to the lies. This is what the process of overcoming faith that was being developed in Gideon. This was the process that was being developed in Timothy when Paul writes to him, in 2 Timothy 1, For this reason I remind you to fan and deflame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. He has not given you a spirit of fear. A spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and of self-discipline. You have authority. God and one person is a majority. No matter what the situation you might find yourself in. Begin to respond from your God-given identity. And then rest in the presence of God. Begin to rest in the presence of God. Rest in His presence. The most powerful statement in this passage that Gideon needed to capture in his spirit is what the Lord said to him, I'm with you. That's His presence with you. But in order to get there, you need to recognize the restlessness in your life that is there because of your fear and insecurity. What I've discovered after walking with the Lord all of these years is He keeps going in deeper to reveal to me even more where those places are. One of my favorite passages in Hebrews chapter 4 says, Let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest. Now that sounds like an oxymoron. Make every effort to enter into rest. So that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. The Word of God comes in and He just kind of, He just messes with you for the purpose of revealing to you your restlessness. Exposing your fears and your insecurities which are driving you around and around and around. 
Because His desire is that you would receive His promise of peace and victory. One of the great promises of Scripture is found in John chapter 16, verse 33, where Jesus said, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. So when trouble comes, don't go, oh! Why is that happening to me? God must have abandoned me. No! You're going to have trouble. You live in this world. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart. I have overcome the world. You know, these guys this week and, and women who were part of Operation Living Water down at the RMC, I mean, these guys were walking this out. They were living out this overcoming faith, realizing their God-given identity, responding from that. And resting in the presence of God. And sometimes it got a little dicey. Things got a little hot. You know, this is what big camp's all about. Coming up this week. Thursday to next Sunday. With these guys. With uh, Trinity Works, Stephen Mugan, and the, and the gang from Men on Fire and others. For men and women. It's about developing this kind of overcoming faith. Because we all need to develop an overcoming faith. Why? Why do we want to develop this overcoming faith? So that we can release kingdom life through us. This is the purpose. That brings us to Judges 7. And we're going to close out the story and close out the message this morning. Early in the morning, some of you know this, Some of you, maybe you've never heard this story before. It's a fabulous story. Okay, listen carefully. I'm just going to read it quickly. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. And the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me or her own that her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. Now there's a really great moment for Gideon, mighty warrior. Two-thirds of the army's gone. Bink! But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I'll sift them for you there. And if I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water and the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths and all the rest got on their knees to drink. Now, I don't know, you know, again, this is sort of a little, this is an extra sermon McNugget. How did the Lord, why did that separate them out? Well, because some of the guys... We're down there with their face in the water and it was probably pretty hard for them to see any enemy coming when you got your face splashing in the water. But the other guys who did this and lapped up the water this way, they were ready. They were ready. They were prepared for whatever the enemy would bring. They didn't let their guard down for a moment. Little sermon like that. Okay. No extra charge. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300. So we started at 32,000. We're now down to 300. Who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. 
Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley, and during that night the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you're afraid to attack, the Lord is so gracious. It says, Go down to camp with your servant Purah and listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you're going to be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Purah, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp, and the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. And their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. And Gideon arrived just as the man was telling a friend of his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. And his friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. And when Gideon heard the dream and and its interpretation, he worshipped God and returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. And dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I go to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. And when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout. For the Lord and for Gideon. And Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just after they had changed the guard and they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands and the three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars and grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow they shouted a sword for the lord and for gideon and while each man held his position around the camp all the midianites ran crying out as they fled and when the 300 trumpets sounded the lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords and the army fled to Bethshedah towards Zerazah and as far as the border of, okay, Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh were called out and they pursued the Midianites. And Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites, seize the waters in the Jordan ahead of them as far as Bethbarah. And so all the men of Ephraim were called out and they took the waters of the Jordan as far as Bethbarah. And they also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. And they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. And they pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon who was by the Jordan. Mm. All right. So what's all this about? This is about releasing kingdom. Gideon's releasing the people of God once again into their true identity and their calling as his people. And they're driving out the enemy before them. And in order for us to release this kingdom life through our lives, we need to first of all recognize that the Lord's ways are different than ours. God has a really different battle plan than the one you've thought up. As it says in Isaiah 55, that familiar passage, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, do not return to it without watering the earth, making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. I, God's going to accomplish his task. He said, I'm going to build my church. Should we be concerned about whether the church is going to get built or not? The church universe? No, he's going to build it. And he's going to build it his way. And we either have the choice to cooperate with Him or not. But if we're going to release His life in us, that kingdom life, we recognize that His ways are different than ours and receive the instruction of the Lord. I love this passage in John chapter 12. The man who loves his life will lose it while the man who hates his life will keep it for eternal life. This is, here's the heart of it. 
Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Where I am, that's where we're to be. That was the whole point of this summer's sermon series on experiencing God. Find out what God's up to and join Him. Where are you, Lord? And let me be with you where you are. And then we'll be releasing His kingdom life. So overcoming faith. First of all, it begins with realizing your God-given identity. And then beginning to respond from that identity. Resting in His presence and His promises. And releasing that kingdom life. I don't know about you, but I want to sign up for that. Anybody want to sign up for that? That's what I want to sign up for. I want to sign up for overcoming faith. And I want us as a body to sign up for that as well. God has an incredible call on this congregation. It's beyond our capacity or ability in our own strength. But God's got more than enough. And He's got all that we need. And so whatever He's saying to you in your life right now, I invite you into a place of obedience. That obedience begins first with submission to Him, coming in surrender and saying, yes, Jesus, I'm going to turn my life over to You. And then keeping your hands off the wheel, which is the really hard part, and letting Him begin to steer the bus. And follow Him and walk with Him in obedience to His Word. This is the overcoming faith that He's calling us to right now, right here, Bethel Christian Fellowship in this season, this year of outpouring. It's a time for overcoming faith. It really is. And so when the enemy comes with his lies and his chatter in your ears, tells you all kinds of stuff, say, eh, not so much. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. That's the most powerful spiritual warfare you can pray. Prayer you can pray. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Jesus, you come and take care of it. The Lord rebuke you. All right, worship team, come on up. We're going to close here with a a song which is a prophetic song. We've sung it here for many years. Very powerful song. And it's sung, you know, most of our songs are sung to the Lord. This is the Lord singing a song to us. And the song is called, I Will Change Your Name. And the words go like this. I will change your name. This is the Lord speaking. You shall no longer be called wounded, outcast, lonely, or afraid. I will change your name. Your new name shall be confidence, joyfulness, overcoming one, faithfulness, friend of God, one who seeks my face. So I want a name change to be a one who is, has overcoming faith. And I trust that you do too. So if you're physically able, can we just stand to our feet and just kind of open our hearts and our hands? And you're welcome to come to the altar. You don't have to, but you're certainly welcome to if you feel like something's stirring that you need to spend some time with the Lord this morning here at the altar. It's open. Come. Bring your heart to Him today. The enemy has been lying to you about who you are and who you're called to be. Lord, rebuke you, Satan. 
But Jesus, I want to speak over this people this morning. Their true identity, children of the living God. That we can cry out to you, Abba Father, Daddy! Lord, that you would release the fullness of all you intend into the hearts of this people and into the life of this body.